everyone, Kat Smith here. Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga. I wanted to introduce the next three episodes to you and tell you a little bit about what you can expect. Um, three episodes that we are going to um, have available for you all to listen are going to be um, part of one whole. Christy and I sit back and looking at the work that we've done with this podcast and we have been on the air for over a year and we had opportunity to share over 50 episodes with you all. We wanted to make three episodes that sort of combined information uh, from every single person that we've interviewed. And these episodes are going to be um, made from words of wisdom that we were able to um, to get from our um, guests and maybe some funny snippets, um, just anything that really resonated with us and sort of stayed with us um, that we wanted to share again. And the way we've decided that we would group these episodes um, is by triad. So we will have a heart triad. We will also have a head triad and the body triad. So today's episode is the heart triad and we thought it would be appropriate to start with the heart at the heart. So I encourage you to tune in and listen and I'm very hopeful that you will enjoy the episode. Two more are to follow. And before I let you go, I wanted to share with you a little bit of exciting news. Christy and I are very privileged to be a part of upcoming yoga teacher trainings that are held at two premier studios here in Chattanooga. We are going to be leading those um, teacher training uh, segments, and they all have to do with yoga and Enneagram. The first one is at Southern Soul Yoga here in Chattanooga on October 28th. Another one is at Yoga Landing here at Chattanooga on November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. So that would be the entire weekend that you can do as a whole or just a particular day. I encourage you to uh, look into it. We would love to have you. If you have any questions, please reach out and we will have links for registration for all of those teacher trainings um, on our websites. And it's important to um, to mention that it is not only for individuals who are trying to finish their teacher training. Um, these segments are actually open to anybody who wishes to attend. So I generally hope we'll see you there. But now sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next episode. So like Kat said, this is a heart triad episode and it's highlights from everybody we've interviewed in the heart triad. So that's types two, three, and four. The heart triad is also sometimes called the feeling triad, the image triad, the attention seeking triad, the shame triad. And we're going to start out with our very first episode where Kat interviews me about being an Enneagram type two. All right. Um, let's get a little, um, maybe serious. Okay. So, you know, there's a, there's a saying about yoga and, um, I think it would apply to Enneagram. It's there for us to feel and to heal. 
You know, so can you talk a little bit about maybe what if you're trying to heal anything right now and how? Yeah, I think, yes, always. I'm always trying to heal things. What comes up for me is childhood trauma still stays with us, you know, and we're working on healing that sometimes our whole life. Yeah. And um, I grew up as the child of an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. Same as me. I did oh, not know that. Wow. A highly functioning social alcoholic. Okay, your dad. Mm-hmm. Okay. My okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my dad, his alcoholism did get in his way. I don't know if he was this high functioning all the time. He did mm-hmm. lose a job um, over his alcoholism mm-hmm. and had to go to rehab. And oh, wow. it, it really affected now, he was a really good dad. I, mm-hmm. I always like to say that because there's yeah. this picture that alcoholic yeah. fathers are degenerate. Yeah. And my dad loved us. He wow. wasn't a good husband. He cheated on my mom. Say, he was. Oh my God, how uh, did I not know that? It's wow. like you're. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, see, mm-hmm. here we go. This yeah. is maybe part of why we're doing this to share our stories. Yeah. Like, this is one of the reasons we want to do this podcast yeah. too, is, is a place of vulnerability. You're never alone. Yeah. 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 And so I think that, um, what happened for me in response to having a father who's an alcoholic is I became the hero child of the family, the responsible one, mm-hmm. the one who tried to fix things, the one who tried you had to, to father yourself. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. my, and my two brothers, I was, uh, you know, my mom was an excellent mom, but of course it was really hard on her. Yeah. She was a little bit depressed to, at times. Yeah. And so, you know, I was trying to take care of everybody and yeah. be kind of like the second mama. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I have that tendency now in my adult life to be too responsible to take on things that I want to fix and take care of. And so I'm still trying to heal that. And Mm -hmm. that's where the Enneagram really helps with helping me to set boundaries and to say no and to learn to take care of myself and not just take care of others. So it's amazing, even though I've been in therapy and you know, love the Enneagram and yoga and done all these things to heal. I'm still working on that part of myself. Like it's, it's still there. Like that wounded child is still inside of me and she still needs love and, and care and affirmation and reminders. Like, you know, I need to reinforce myself all the time. It's okay to take care of yourself and to say no. Yeah. So that's, that's probably one of the big things I'm trying to heal. I get it, friend. I get it. Our next Enneagram 2 is Dr. Shelley Prevost. Shelley and her husband, Chad, are the founders of the Big Self School. The Big Self School does so much for the Chattanooga community where Chad and Shelley live. And you have to listen to their podcast. It's really, really great. And they were even able to interview Parker Palmer. So if you can check out one episode, I would recommend that one. But this part of Shelley Prevost's interview was the favorite part of many listeners. And so let's listen to Shelley. So if you um, could give our listeners a mantra or an affirmation that helps you as an Enneagram 2, what would you offer to them? Yeah, so I've been thinking a lot lately about what my my grandparents have told me really my whole life. Um, And the saying is, you are, you're as good as anyone, you're better than no one. And I think like as a two, I, you know, at the time, of course, they're saying this my whole life. I never thought 
how important that was until as an adult, I can look back and I'm like, that's a really important message for me specifically as a two. I am, I'm as good as anyone, I'm, but I'm better than no one. And I think as a two with pride, we can inflate ourselves and we can deflate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so to stay kind of neutral and see ourselves for exactly who we are and as beautiful as we are and as limited as we are, I think is just a really um, important practice. And so I, I do try to remind myself that um, if, daily if, it's, if I can. Say it one more time for our listeners. You are as good as anyone, but better than no one. I love that. You are mm-hmm. as good as anyone, but better than no one. And that that is fitting for an Enneagram too, because, you know, sometimes we call it the shame triad and they struggle a lot with not feeling good enough. And at the mm-hmm. same time, we've been talking about there's the pride thing, there's the I am good. And, it, and so it's paradoxical, right? Um, it's not one or the other. It's it, We struggle with both. We vacillate back and forth between you know, wanting to be seen as good, but then feeling like we're an imposter and not good yeah. enough. And so, yeah, perfect yeah. message. I, yeah, it wasn't, and when I learned about pr- the word pride and then I learned what it meant and how I have an orientation to pride that makes me feel more important than I am and also less important than I am. Like there's, it's both. And that's how pride works for the two. Um, and so to have this like kind of neutral position around it, uh, again, not easy. This is work I will be doing for the rest of my life. But it's this saying has been really helpful, that mantra that I've been hearing my whole life, which is what's most funny. Yeah, yeah. But that that's something that that grounds you. Our next Enneagram two is Dr. Beth Capici. And Beth is a friend of ours. She's also the host of the Never Perfect podcast. And in this section of her interview, uh, which was during the episode that we did with her on the five love languages, she muses about the strengths and weaknesses of the Enneagram 2. Well, speaking of the Enneagram, you're an Enneagram 2 helper. And uh, I know that there's a lot of strengths of an Enneagram 2, since I am one, and there's also some growing edges. So tell me about what you love about being an Enneagram too, and then the parts that, you know, you have to work on as an Enneagram, the parts Mm. of yourself you have to work on. So I could go on about this for a very long time. I guess I would say that I truly do love to help people. And I tend to see the world as a whole as, you know, fellow humans and like in a weird way, everyone's part of my family. Yeah. And so there is this weird piece of me sometimes that has surprised me. Like, obviously, I love to help alleviate suffering. I love for people to know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. But I can be real unrealistic in thinking I can help too many people or I get confused. And this plays into my ADHD as Mm -hmm. well. And I've recently heard some fascinating science behind why a lot of ADHD people are people pleasers. And I used to say that I think ADD can lead to emotional ADD where I just made that up, but it really fits what this expert is finding that you have trouble knowing like what is the top priority versus seeing every need you see is, is on your list instead of Mm -hmm. going, I can't do all that. I have to prioritize and Mm -hmm. be realistic with myself. Mm -hmm. So, um, but 
I do like that piece of seeing a need or seeing suffering and wanting to help that. I do like that mm-hmm. aspect, but it can be overwhelming. Yeah. And I'm sure y'all have heard of caregiver burnout or yeah, sure. compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can lead to that, especially when you tend to be so focused by what you can see outside of yourself and you're not as good at tuning in to what's going on inside yourself. Yeah. And that is a struggle, I think, for me because of the two and because um, of my ADHD. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of ADHD people aren't as self-aware as they should be, mm-hmm. and they don't tune in to what's inside themselves enough. So mm-hmm. I definitely have fought with codependency, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I would love to hear how either of you would define it. I think it's kind of difficult to define, but... Um, you know, a lot of people traditionally thought of that as enabling or, mm-hmm. you know, taking responsibility for other people's problems. Um, but sometimes I think of it as overfunctioning and, you know, just trying to fix things that mm-hmm. you, it's good to care about those things, but you don't have to feel responsible to fix them. Yeah. And I think sometimes I think of it as finding your sense of self in another instead of inside of yourself. Yes. And that's another. But, yeah, there are so many definitions of codependency and overfunctioning and underfunctioning definitely is a big part of it yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, learning to say no is a definitely a growing edge. And mm-hmm. I have been working on that, and I'll probably always work on that. But just I, I want to do so many things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But stopping to say, do I really have time for that, or is that really realistic? is something that it's hard. It's sort of like that FOMO of I want to do it all and I can't. Yeah, and I think it's interesting in terms of codependency and the Enneagram. The two and the nine are often thought of as, as the most codependent on mm. the Enneagram. Um, the, the nine wants to merge with others and accommodate, and the two also you know, wants to please and to help. And so, uh, but I would also add that the seven can be that way. Um, Those are my three top types. Those are your three top types. <laughs> Interesting. And that, and the reason is the seven, the two, and the nine are in sort of the positive triad of uh-huh. the Enneagram. And so they want to keep things positive. And in keeping things positive, sometimes they can all fall into that trap of keeping the peace. But definitely the, the two and the nine, um, and then sometimes the seven. Wow. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Our next guest is Dr. Lauren Sparks. Lauren Sparks is a nurse practitioner out in New Mexico, and she's talking with us about suffering. She's experienced a lot of suffering in her life. She had a very serious illness for five years that's sometimes called Burning Man Syndrome. The more technical name for it is erythromalacia. And she's talking about what she learned about suffering and how that relates to being an Enneagram too. I'd say it's invited me into growth and it took me a long time to accept that invitation. (laughs) I think sometimes uh, when you're in the midst of suffering, the work of suffering is suffering. Um, and, and, And so eventually I feel like I was able to step into that. Uh, growth, but the suffering had to come before the growth. Um, I think, and I think that initially it was just surrendering to that suffering, to really allowing myself to feel the pain and the grief of all the losses instead of pushing it away. Um, so it taught me how to grieve. I, like I said, with that loss of that relationship and that initial experience of being seen, I didn't know how to grieve that. 
um, being the person I am today, I would, I would honor that in a much different way. I, I wouldn't run from it nearly as much. Um, it taught me how to embrace my anger um, instead of uh, fear it. Um, it taught me what it feels like to stay connected um, to what I call my small voice. Um, and it took me into a deeper place of compassion for other people. I've always been a, a very empathetic person. Many years of my life, I was a hospice nurse. That's how I met <laughs> Christy. Um, but it took me, it allowed me access into a deeper um, place of empathy where I feel like I'm better at sort of companioning people in their suffering instead of moving into the two role of trying to fix it. <laughs> um, I, I would say those are the main things that my suffering has invited me into. Yeah, that, I, that idea of being with people knee deep in their suffering, but not trying to fix it is a nice distinction that you can journey with, but, but not take on the role of fixing, which as you know, Enneagram twos, we, we do try to do that. Um, so I love that. And, I, and, and before you even went through the suffering, you were a deeply empathetic person because we did work together at hospice where I was a hospice chaplain and, and counselor and you were a, a hospice nurse. And so I saw you overflowing with empathy even then, but, but it deepened your sympathy um, and empathy in even more ways. And then I also hear that it helps you to know how to grieve and to feel the pain of life, which is sometimes hard for twos that we can be, you know, Pollyanna-like and, and feel the joy of life more easily, but to feel the anger and to get in touch with that and to also feel the grief and the sadness and the despair of all of it is important that I, I hear you saying you had to learn how to suffer first before you could see some of the, the silver lining of, of learning something from this experience. Next up is Professor Liz Norell, and she's sharing with us her journey of discovering the Enneagram. And she's an Enneagram too as well. So tell us about when you were introduced to the Enneagram and how it's changed your life as an Enneagram too. Sure. So I went to a retreat in December of 2016 with Sherry Fox and Mandy Roberts. So they have a, a retreat organization called Soul Nourish Retreats. And Sherry is an Enneagram practitioner in Atlanta, or at least she was in Atlanta at the time she's since moved. And I didn't realize that the Enneagram was going to be part of that. I just thought it was like, let's go to the mountains of North Georgia for a weekend. Sounds good. But there was a workshop on the Enneagram in the afternoon on Saturday. And that was the first time that I had ever heard of it. I didn't really know what to think of it. Like I, I've always been really interested in introspection and self-knowledge and, and so, you know, things like the Myers-Briggs and other, you know, sort of personality frameworks I had been interested in, but this was new to me. And so, you know, I saw that I learned there was probably a two. I resonated with that really quickly. Um, but then, I don't know, I just kind of kept hearing this word and started going to some Enneagram Atlanta train, like weekend workshops with Nan Henson. And I've learned so much from her and so much through those workshops. And that has really deepened my understanding of the Enneagram and how it relates to my life. 
Oh, wow. So I trained with Nan too. That's where I got my Enneagram certification and, and Linda Roberts as well was one of my teachers and they are fabulous. So a shout out to Enneagram Atlanta. You can do workshops, you can get your Enneagram certification there. Um, they're just wonderful. So I didn't realize that's where you had trained as well. So that's amazing. I haven't done the certification and I probably will at some point. I'm just kind of like waiting and hoping that it's going to go back to in person because I ha I had such a great experience going to those workshops in person. I remember the first one, I was kind of overwhelmed by all of the interaction with strangers, which is very, like I'm an introvert, that's exhausting, but I always leave so just with a deep sense of belonging and self. And so I... I really would love to do the certification if there's yeah. some aspects in person. Yeah, that'll be great when, when they get back to that. So um, yeah, that's a neat connection to me. Next up is Carrie Marino. Carrie Marino is a yoga therapist and yoga teacher. And in this snippet, she talks about how the language of the Enneagram and knowing her type as a type two is serving her. So you took a test. So could you tell us and um, our listeners if you landed on the number or if you had three numbers that you scored the highest in? Yes, I was, it was definitely highest in the type two category, the helper. And I then, I had, yeah, it was like very clear <laughs> that that was my, my main number. And then I had four that were really close. Like I had 18 or 17 points in. So they were just right there with each other. But the number eight, the challenger, and number three, the achiever, were the other two, like, stronger notes. I love that. Probably what that means is that you're probably, I don't know for sure, and you would need to do your own sort of research and discernment, but a type two with a three wing, because our wings on either side um, inform us quite a bit and usually we have a dominant wing and then the eight is actually one of the arrows for the two and so what that means is you can go to the high or the low side of the eight traditionally they talk more about going the two goes to the low side of the eight where they can become challenging um, and and maybe you know when they're especially when they're standing up for somebody else or being protective they can get a little bit angry. Um, so that that is an arrow for you. And um, so I would imagine that might be what it is. But again, take some time. The Enneagram is a system of getting to know yourself and helping you to understand yourself. So don't feel in a rush to figure out your number. But it, it sounds like if your two was really high, you might be a two, which would not be surprising for a yoga therapist, spiritual life coach, and yoga teacher, because the talking style for the two is help and advice. And it's a very caring, nurturing type, sometimes called the helper, the lover, the giver. And so obviously that, that fits in with who I see you as. So it, it would make a lot of sense for you to be a two, but, um, you know, of course, take some time with that. Did you read a little bit and feel like you landed as a two or are you going to take some more time with maybe um looking into it 
So something about me, I love to learn. Like that is just, that really lights me up inside. So I definitely want to spend more time learning about them all, but I have read a good bit about the two and just listening to some of y'all's podcast episodes, I've learned some about it and it resonates. Mm -hmm. And I, I really appreciated the different, like, you know, this is the struggle points for two. This is what a healthy two looks like. And as I reflect back on past experiences, I can definitely see that some of those struggle points are things that have been very real experiences for me. And I appreciate the language that the Enneagram gives and the perspective that it gives. Mm -hmm. For example, not communicating my own needs, but wanting other people to intuitively meet them without me having to ask. Yeah. <laughs> that was one that was like, yep. That's still yeah. part of my journey. <laughs> uh, so to be able to ask, this is what I need. Um, and then also to offer yourself what you need, you know, is really important for us as too. So we're so great at meeting other people's needs. Yeah. So we start to meet our own and, and listen internally to that inward voice telling us what we need, but then to really communicate to our partner, to our friends, what we need and see if they can do that. Um, yeah. So well, Susan Lada is a licensed marriage and family therapist. As far as I'm concerned, she is the best of the best when it comes to doing therapy uh, with people who are grieving. And so if you're looking for a therapist who knows how to work with grief, I definitely would reach out to her. She's an Enneagram too, and she talks with us a little bit about that. Also, um, wanted to check in with you about, because we're talking about grief, but we're also talking about how each number in the Enneagram deals with grief, Susan. Yeah. So I wanted to check in with you about um, your exposure to the Enneagram and whether you feel like you've landed on a particular Enneagram number, you might still be exploring that, um, but, but let us know about your thoughts about the Enneagram and whether you've landed on a number yet. So I, um, I am intrigued with the Enneagram. I've done very little with it and I did do this test and it, uh, not a surprise, I was a two, the helper. Uh, uh -huh. So that was like, that just matches exactly kind of where I am in my world right now. Um, and then the second one was a peacemaker, which is also very um, much in line with who I am as a human being. And so, um, but yes, the, the helper is my high number. And I would definitely say that that is very accurate. Yeah. After, after working with you for 13 years. Yeah. That's not surprising to me. No, no. <laughs> um, you are, you're a helper. Um, in, in some, in so many of the positive qualities of the, the helper are in you, you're warm, you're nurturing, you're empathetic. You have a big heart. Um, you sometimes like me can sacrifice yourself for others. Um, very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to our Enneagram threes, the achievers. And our first one up is Wesley Nichols. And Wesley Nichols is the founder of Enneagram Chattanooga. He also has a private practice as a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
and we interview him about life as an Enneagram 3. So listen to what he has to say. As I think about the threes, another thing, I mean, we're thinking about that what's next, what goal is next, the to-do list of the three that's really common, and threes do need to hear, you know, I do enough and I am already enough and those sort of messages. But I'll, I also think about threes and how they can push down their feelings. I'm a two, so like the twos, like we share that in common, like we tend to push down feelings in different ways. But um, how do you make space to fill your feelings both individually on your own and then collectively maybe with others? Yeah, that's another really good question. I think it hits on something that definitely kind of shows up for me because I th- it's not, a, I think, a natural and easy thing for me to do to kind of feel those mm-hmm. things. And um, I think just some of my wiring, I think what I've identified too is I think allowing myself to feel some of these things a lot of times. The fear inherent is it is if I allow myself to feel these things, it's going to keep me from being able to perform. Yeah. This is going to get in the way of me being able to show up in the way that people want or they need or get in the way of the goals that I'm kind of moving towards, right? So there's almost kind of this inherent fear. And so I think recognizing that um, it it is important for me to kind of try to cultivate those spaces. And it's not the easiest thing to do either because I think, again, just vocationally, I'm a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a natural way that, you know, we have to show up for our clients and we care, but there's a way that it'd be so easy to kind of take those things with you unless you're able to have the things that are going to be able to protect yourself. So I, yeah. it's almost like I, I have both of these, my threeness and my therapistness, right? That makes it harder, yeah. right? Yeah. To like actually tune into to what I'm feeling as yeah. opposed to muting myself to show up kind of for other people. Um, and so I think what that looks like and actually what I've been even just in the past couple of months, really exploring more of is trying to tap into kind of, I guess the creative side mm-hmm. of me. I'm typically yeah. a very logical, analytical mm-hmm. um, person. I have all those filters and um, I actually had a client kind of share something about their songwriting um, and something about, you know, them sharing their story made me kind of be like, well, huh, I wonder what that would be like for me if I, yeah maybe began to explore kind of just dabbling in some songs. I'm, I sing all the time, <laughs> not in my everyday life, but at home, like okay. it just kind of happens. Like I grew up in a family where, you know, people were always singing or playing instruments. And so like, I'll just be kind of doing the dishes or whatever. And I'm singing. And a lot of times I'm not even singing a song. It's just, you know, about what I'm okay. doing yeah. or, I mean, it just kind of happens. And so I was like, why not, why not kind of explore this a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started doing some of that and it was, amazing to me the ways that me kind of tapping into and exploring this creative way to try to get in touch with what I'm feeling bypassed all of these filters mm-hmm. that normally kind of come up and keep me maybe yeah. from feeling the feelings. Now I can identify my feelings. I mean, that's where my training is, right? Yeah. I can, I can see yeah. that in others and I can even in myself be like, Oh, Oh, you're feeling that. And you're feeling that. Oh, and that is connected to that. But allowing myself to actually drop into that, yeah, right, and and mm, and a very real like bodily physical form, like yeah. that, yeah, that is the work, right? Yeah. And I think there's a way that creative um, outlet or me tapping into that more is opening up more space for that to happen yeah. um, in ways that it's been just much more difficult to do. Yeah, yeah, music 
whether we're singing or whether we're listening to music, but especially if we're singing because we're having to use our diaphragm, right? It's very embodied, right? And that's, so that's taking you in to your body and that's taking you maybe into the feeling. When we're, when we're integrating, and that's why the Enneagram's amazing, the mind, the heart, and the body, we're getting to be like more healthy as people. So that's amazing. I love that example. And I love that. Right? I had never even thought about even just the physical act, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a way you have to be embodied yeah. to be able to mm-hmm. kind of sing these things. So mm-hmm. connecting those, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Good for you. You still singing? Yes, yes. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't just try it. It was like, okay, let it go. Good for you. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it even just kind of happens, nat- the singing goes. But I think it was even like trying to like articulate. I think it was trying to express my feelings yeah. in a creative form. So like yeah. writing a song. So I even like was writing a little bit about like what it's like being me as far as being a therapist yeah. and, and some of personal relationships and things like that. And there's a way that when you're creatively expressing that, I've tried journaling mm-hmm. and I just, it goes through the same filters, the same kind of yeah. things that I'm like, I put it down. Not to say that's not good. Like, it is helpful. It is good. But like, it doesn't allow for me at least to kind of tap into that same place. Same for me. Number one, I just can't do it. I yeah. mean, it's all right. You just, you're just not releasing anything. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. I, and, and, but when I added this creative component to mm-hmm. it again, I think it's almost like something with the brain. Like I want to yeah. into this right side of the brain that I don't traverse all that often, yeah. right? And there is something about that that just woo. feels cathartic almost, oh, doesn't yes. it? Very yeah. much so. That's Very much great. So. That's all. Next up is Della Wheeler. Della Wheeler is an Enneagram three. She has a podcast. She offers a lot of workshops online and in person, and she's a great yoga teacher. And in this little snippet. From her interview about self-care and being an Enneagram 3, we talked with her about being surprised that she was an Enneagram 3 because we feel so much of the 9 energy from her. But I think that's just a testament for her doing her spiritual and emotional work. So here's Della. Okay, back to you, Della. I was thinking about you know, even though we're not really supposed to do this with the Enneagram, we do. We think about, ooh, I wonder what Della is, you know? I was clueless. I was blown <laughs> away. I was blown oh, away. Really? Yeah, me too. So I did I did say, I think she's a nine or a six. I, I thought you were a nine before. totally. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the is that the peace thing, one? That's mm-hmm. the peace mm-hmm. maker. Yeah, okay. The arrow of uh, stress is a nine. And the Mm -hmm. arrow of health is a six. But some Enneagram teachers say that you can go to the high side or the low side of the nine or the six. And I kind of buy into that. So there's with the three, the three, the six, and the nine are all connected. There's a lot of that six energy and that nine energy. And to me, you definitely emanate the high side of a nine, which is very rare for a three. Mm -hmm. So to others... You don't appear as a three. Like internally, oh, I know yeah, that's I know. what's that's happening That's a hard you. part of mm-hmm. it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, People are like, oh, what? You Were are? you surprised when you read like the description of a three and the attributes? Or were you like, yes? Yeah, I was like, yes, for yes, sure. Yes, for sure. And I think it can also be just like, uh, I feel like it could change. I don't really know much about the Enneagram, but I'm oh, like, no, girl, like you're in, you're it. to a healthy place. It can be different, but yeah. I very much am. Yeah. A three. A three. Well, for the, sure. the Enneagram would say you are one number and that 
the story of that number you started to adopt early in your childhood, yeah. but it wants you to become the high side of all nine numbers. So right. we can't oh, cha we okay. can't change our number. That's kind of you know early on been formed, and yet we can adopt the numbers, all of the nine numbers and all of their strengths and become a whole yep. person. Mm -hmm. So that would okay. be what the Enneagram mm -hmm. would be inviting mm -hmm. us to do. And I already see that in you because I see that nine energy and that high side of a nine. So, mm -hmm. which is, is you, you do in your yoga classes, you have so much peace. Like I feel more peaceful when I walk out of it. And it's not just because of the yoga, it's because of something in you. So I just want to yeah, say that. I have one student that's like, how do you do that? How do you make us, like we walk in and we feel crazy and then we walk out and we don't feel mm -hmm. crazy. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I know what crazy feels like. So yeah. I know what to give you, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? Like, I yeah. am crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's when it's authentic because yeah, you, you, you teach what you preach, you preach what you know, you mm -hmm. teach what you know, and that's yeah. where it lands. So I interviewed my husband for our holiday episode. He's an Enneagram 3 as well. He's the self-preservation subtype Enneagram 3. And so just take a moment to listen to my husband talk about what an Enneagram 3 might want for the holidays. In your own experience, what have you enjoyed for the holidays? Well, I've always enjoyed gifts uh, that remind me of the importance of slowing down and doing things for myself that, that I enjoy, you know, getting to do. Uh, I know that in the past, uh, you've got me, you know, things like drumsticks, for example. Yeah. Uh, things that, you know, serve as reminders of how it's important to slow down and do things that I enjoy doing for myself. Yeah, that's one you of your hobbies. Yeah. I'm always doing, doing, doing around the house or going and doing for my parents or other people. And it's very rare that I stop and, you know, try to take care of myself along the way. So, you know, getting those real reminders from you has always been really very, very helpful. Yeah. You know? Uh, you know, it's always, you know, not always drumsticks or something musical, you know, it's even been something like, you know, maybe a massage or something yeah. to emphasize, um, self-care along the way. So I've always enjoyed things like that. And I, I think it's important for a, a three to have, you know, those types of gifts, yeah. you know, that's going to help them to slow down and just, you know, take a pause. Just be, yeah, yes. that's great. All right, and then for you, what's maybe one or even two gifts that have been really meaningful to you over the years? You know, in the past, I, you know, you've gotten me, like, plane tickets. Yeah. You know, we've gone, we've taken really, you know, fabulous trips out west, you know, to either Colorado or, you know, someplace in Wyoming even. And, uh, you know, one of my passions uh, is, you know, hiking and, and backpacking and, you know, even though I don't get to do it quite as much as I used to, uh, it always uh, holds a place that's very near and dear to my heart uh, to escape to those places and uh, allows me to uh, uh, feel a sense of solitude uh, yeah. going to those places. Uh, it's very uh, peaceful for me, and I've always thoroughly enjoyed those types of gifts. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, for the, you know, I'm not all uh, threes, you know, want to go to Colorado and Wyoming, you know, but I know that, you know, there are special places that threes like to go. Yeah. And, you know, so 
you know, any way that you can think of celebrating your, your dear three. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I will say that you're really good once you get away at getting away. Like, if you go on a vacation, you don't take work with you like some threes do. You really enjoy your trips. And if anything, I'm the one who sometimes will take the work with me. And um, But when you get away, I think that that's really a place where you can just be and are really mindful and present. So, yeah, that's that's great. Well... Thanks for sharing with us, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Next up is Billy Kilgore. And Billy Kilgore is a friend of mine who writes for the Washington Post, Scary Mommy, Narratively, and other online publications. But listen to him talking about life as an Enneagram 4. Well, first of all, I, I discovered the Enneagram like, 20 years ago, I shouldn't say discover, but someone shared the Enneagram with me uh, 20 years ago when I was in graduate school. And, you know, I was intrigued by it at the time and, um, you know, read a little bit about it, but, you know, didn't really take a, a deep dive into it. You know, it wasn't until much later that I began to actually take the test and read more about being a four. And so it, it's been kind of a a long, slow process of learning about it for me. Um, but I would say the way it's helped me most is that, you know, I feel like I grew up in a family where there wasn't any fours, or maybe there was a couple, but I wasn't around them a lot. And so I always felt, you know, kind of different than my parents and, and sibling. And, you know, I also grew up in a more blue collar working class community where I felt like fours weren't really valued or kind of invested in, particularly with boys. Um, so I feel like the Enneagram has really helped me to sort of better understand myself and, you know, kind of not feel so alone. And, you know, it, it's pointed me to, you know, other models of, of fours and, you know, I think it's helped me to identify, um, you know, the fours around me now, you know, that I would want to pursue friendships with. Um, so I, I feel like it's really helped with my self-understanding and helped me to understand why I think in my younger days, I kind of felt like an oddball um, and didn't really connect, uh, particularly with the boys around me. Um, Although I'm sure there were other boys that were fours, um, but it helps me better understand now why you know, I didn't really identify with a lot of the other kids around me. Last but not least is Lauren Ahn, and Lauren is a yoga teacher. She also leads workshops uh, on the artist's way, and she talks with us about life as an Enneagram four. Listen in. I, I feel like there's certain people that have been put in my path that have been really influential. And you, Kat, have been one of those people, especially in my yoga life. Um, in 2018, you know, a big part of my journey was that I was very depressed at that point in my life. I had done a lot of therapy. And we might talk a little bit about my past mm -hmm. and my trauma yeah. <laughs> and my healing journey. But I was really kind of at a crossroads in 2018 at the early part of that in January. And um, 
I took a class. I hadn't taken yoga was part of my journey already for a long, long time, but I hadn't really given myself permission to sign up for teacher training. There Mm -hmm. were all kinds of reasons for that. Um, Lots of shame involved, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, here with as being an Enneagram for Mm -hmm. myself. But um, your class just resonated with me deeply as you know, sometimes a yoga class does and a teacher does. And I think it was the first class I'd ever taken from you. And it just brought me back to life. And at least it brought me just back to life enough to Mm -hmm. sign up for teacher training. That was starting the next month. That was just like super last minute, February 2018 Mm -hmm. start date. And yeah, it just, the rest is history. I mean, that was such a huge part of my I mean, still such a huge part of my journey in learning how to feel good enough in the world and confident with myself and feeling that sense of belonging that I think I never really had that, or I I kind of, when I think about the pervading feeling of my life, it's that I never really felt like I belonged Mm -hmm. and Southern soul and Mm -hmm. that studio and yoga and you, Thank you. you know, Thank helped you, led me to that sense of belonging. Well, I'm here to tell you, and I've taken your classes. First of all, what a gift to the world for oh, you being now able I'm to teach. Cry. I know, like I'm teared <laughs> up. I know we're gonna just have a love fest, you guys. It's <laughs> a love fest but right I now. Ha- but it has to be said. You know, I always say, people, when something shitty, people jump on it right away and make it known. But if it's something good, a lot of times we think it, but we never verbalize it. So two things: one, what a gift to the world for you to be teacher. Mm. Truly, honestly, mm. and. And I have been to your classes and what I love about classes is you create the environment of belonging. Mm. Like it makes me feel very emotional because I think that you know what it feels like not to Mm. and you create that atmosphere and Mm. that experience even for an hour that I've personally felt so Any who you guys, <laughs> don't cry in any other Oh episode. my gosh, and lots of wow. emotion in here because we're with a four, and, and the fours four. bring that out of us, right? The- I will tell you so, beyond just Lauren being amazing, and I have said it before, a four for me on Enneagram, uh, the most enigmatic number, mm. it truly is a unicorn. I admire it. I want to see it. I'm semi-scared of it because it is so <laughs> special. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I'm super excited to talk to you this afternoon because a four for me, and I've said it, it is just this enigma that I want to know everything. Like, I want to be next to it. Oh, my gosh. Well, and as I a know four, it. I want to drink that up and just be like, yeah. <laughs> special you are and I mean if I had to pick a number because we always want to be another number right and if I had to pick a number I would want to be a four because they're so deep they feel their feelings they're Mm. creative they're philosophical there's so much about the four that I want to be more like and the four of course I'm a two so the four is my air of health so I become the best version of myself I love a two too yeah (laughs) some of my best friends are twos for sure fours and twos get along well they help stabilize me (laughs) they're my mamas (laughs) I have a lot of fours in my life but yeah they they're great and and I really resonated with what you said about you found a yoga studio that helped you feel like that sense of belonging because fours do feel like a misfit, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah. yeah. Yes. So tell me about the Enneagram and how it's helped you to heal a part of your story that you needed to heal. Yeah. I think that's a good segue because a misfit or just that feeling of I don't belong or mm-hmm. I'm different than other people or I'm misunderstood or even the feeling that I was adopted and not or like, you know, switched at birth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I had that feeling from the time I can remember. Now- well, that finishes up types two, three, and four, again, known as the heart triad. One thing to keep in mind with the Enneagram two, three, and four is that the two tends to want to help other people with matters of the heart. The three tends to push down their feelings and doesn't pay attention to their heart space. And then the four is deeply, deeply invested in matters of the heart. And so they're all in the heart triad, but the way that they relate to uh, feelings is very, very different. So I just wanted to share that. Also, stay tuned for our meditation led by Cat Smith, which will be after this short advertisement. Welcome to our heart-inspired meditation. This is Kat. Thank you for joining me. As always, find a comfortable seat somewhere where you can relax, find stillness, and be surrounded by silence. Giving yourself permission to Find a comfortable seat and stay for a few minutes just with your breath. Maybe you let your eyes close or at least soften your gaze. Start easy breathing, inhaling slowly, exhaling slowly. Notice how unrushed cadence of your breath lets you relax. Notice how the breath feels, maybe cooler on the inhales and warmer on the exhales. attention to the sound of your breathing. So today's meditation is focused on your heart space. The heart chakra is the fourth chakra and the Sanskrit name for it is Anahata meaning unhurt or unstuck. So bring your awareness, your mind's eye, to the space that houses your heart. If it's helpful, allow one of your hands land on your chest so you can feel the beat of your heart. 
know that the space is not just about sustaining your life, but also about opening and balancing the past griefs, unkindness, hurt, welcoming more openness, compassion, and empathy. I invite you to recall a situation in your life that's causing you heart pain, that's bringing stress into your heart. Bring the situation to your mind. Recognize what the struggle is, what distress it's causing, emotional discomfort. Become aware of this moment and how the discomfort feels. Recognize the stress, the struggle, Painful experiences and suffering are all part of our lives, part of being human. And recognize that you're never alone, that all the people struggle in their lives. All the people have heart pain in their lives. Unless your hand is already at your heart, lay one of your hands on your chest. And now deepen your breathing. Relax any tension that you may be feeling in your body by recollecting a painful experience. On every exhale, feel the stress leaving your body. Recognize the warmth and comfort of your hand, your gentle touch. Come back to easy breathing. Welcome to listen or repeat inside of your head after me. May I forgive myself. May I be compassionate to myself. May I accept myself as I am in this moment. May I give myself the kindness and compassion that I need. Take a full inhale through the nose. Open your mouth, gently exhale. Thank you for joining me in this meditation. May all be well. Namaste.